VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I thank you for joining us. The cold weather's gone, which means that in the studio is Mr. Matt Hughes, making his way in from uh, far west London, somewhere near Matthew Syed's house, right? There's a shed at the bottom of the garden. There you go. Uh, in fact, he's Matthew Syed's groundskeeper, for those who didn't know. And we're joined not just by a former England defender, that would be pretty generic and ordinary here, but one who scored in a World Cup. That's right, making his game podcast debut, it's Matthew Upson. Later on, we'll be discussing um, some of Martin Glenn's silly comments. He's the chief executive of the FA, and until recently, I thought the more grown-up of the two between him and Greg Clark. But we start with the champions and the champions-elect at the Etihad. Chelsea lined up with no center forward. They had two of them on the bench. Um, They played a very conservative uh, game. Um... It was condemned as anti-football by some. Where do you stand on this? Because you could also look at it the other way and say, yeah, okay, so we just sat back and didn't try to score. We kept it close, and then late on, Moses had a chance, and maybe we could have nicked something. Was that the right approach, or was that actually kind of embarrassing? You know, in many ways, the, the the approach is the approach. I don't think it matters too much. You can sit back tactically and do that. You can play on the front foot and try and take the game to City. Either way, just do it in a manner that is high energy, aggressive and competitive. And Your problem was that it was low energy. Yeah, and I think I think the, the manager's demeanour after the game reflected in, in the performance. I, you know, the way he spoke, how he was, he just seemed quite quite down. And disappointed in a way and uh, and that's that for me is how Chelsea played yesterday We're, we can talk about the tactics and how he set up why there was no centre forward but which does that's the one thing that does surprise me when you set up like that you'd normally think you need somebody to get hold of the ball because you need a respite if you're going to be quite deep and soak up some pressure when the ball goes forward you've got to try and retain possession to get up the pitch and especially in the first half Chelsea just couldn't do that the ball was going long at times if you haven't got a, a, a more physical target man style player, I think it's very difficult to, to get hold of the ball and get up the pitch. Uh, Husey, uh, Matt spoke of Conte's demeanour after the game. Um, I'd go even further to Conte's demeanour before the game when he's like, oh, it's going to be so difficult. We could get a real hiding here. And Do you get the logic with the it's better to lose 1-0 than 3-0? Does it make any difference whatsoever? I think it does to the manager, yeah. Um, Why though? 
well, it's better. It is better to lose one nil and three nil at the end of the season. That's a better result, and you know, it could go down to goal difference. Psychologically, it's it feels better, I suppose. Um, Do you think Chelsea's players felt better? Actually, we're going to stop you on that point because I'd like to hear from you. You've been there, but both of you. Do you actually feel better after a game like that, where you lost one nil, as opposed to a game where maybe you were more aggressive, you went for it more, and you lost three nil? Rather lose three nil. What about you, Husey? I'm not really qualified to talk no, about. No, but you've played football too. Sure. I mean, the other point I suppose to make is, if Alonso's shot goes in in the last minute, it's one all. If you're three nil down, that's irrelevant. So if you lose, if you if you're negative and you defend, you are giving yourself a chance to so you score. Disagree with Gary Neville then, and and, and Jamie Redknapp. Yeah, and, I, I mean that is. By the way, on that point, it's too straight. Just as a bit of an aside, and you've joined the punditocracy now too. And I'm going to digress here. What is it? Two straight weeks that we have, depending on your viewpoint, either some extremely plain, honest speaking from two of the leading pundits in the game, well, one, Gary Neville, or some people have suggested maybe saying things a little bit for effect between the absolute demolition of of the Arsenal players, right, after the League Cup. You know, this one's walking, that one's walking, he's a disgrace, he's, a, he's an embarrassment. And today... It's anti-football, it's rubbish, all this other stuff. Had you been there, would you, and, and you felt that strongly about it, would you Would you express yourself in those terms? Yeah, if that's your opinion, then, then express it. That's what you're there to do. I, the, the bit do you that, never hold back no, when I, you're in front of the camera? No, of course, I, I think you, you always have to think about what you're saying. And, and there's ways to say something to make a point, and you can say it as bluntly. It can have different impacts. You can say the same thing, but it can have a completely different impact, can't it? And I think people will choose to say something in a certain way and it will be delivered and it's more shocking than maybe if you say it a bit more subtly. I think I think that's definitely a, a thing that happens in, in punditry for sure. But going back to their performance, they what was the big difference between the Barcelona game at home? Because they set up pretty similarly, no? To that performance yesterday. I mean, in my mind, I'm comparing the two. You're probably looking mm. at two teams, Barcelona and City, you know, in terms of quality and threat and and the stature, but for me, the Barcelona performance was completely different. I thought they were excellent against Barcelona. Yeah. They they were criticising some quarters after that game for being negative. I didn't think they were negative. I thought they were, you know, pragmatic and they were outstanding. Yeah, I, I, I thought, thought, very I thought good. They were the excellent. only goal they conceded is down a mistake, and Conte was playing. I mean, I'd, I'd say they, 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 they go back to the central midfielder. One, you had Conte on there. Who, you know, with all due respect to Drinkwater, Conte's on another level. Yeah. And you were able to squeeze that. I, I thought Fabregas was exceptional in the Barcelona game and the way he ran himself into the ground. I don't think Fabregas is capable, just physically capable, not, it's not a question of him not wanting to, of producing two performances like that in, in, in the space of, of two, three weeks. <laughs> he's, he's not that kind of dynamic player. He can try his hardest, and he did it against Barcelona for the 75 minutes that he was on the pitch. But you couldn't expect him to do it again. But, but I think I think the point is that you, okay, you've got a player missing there who's crucial. So you may still lose the game at City. That's fine, but you still play in the same manner as what you did against Barcelona. You've just literally had a trial run of that same game. Oh, okay, it was at home, and you've lost Kante as well. But still, the the team can still perform in that manner. I don't see why not. That's that's so been really they? successful for him. I think it's been a. And also, City have had an extra game this week, so their energy, energy levels 
should be down. They played Thursday night. Chelsea, Chelsea didn't. Right. So Chelsea should have been fresher. I do think there is an element of Conte kind of talking himself out of a job and his negativity kind of getting into the heads of the players all season, particularly in January. He was complaining about the basically the quality of the players he's got, the number of players he's got. On Friday, again, his press conference, he was talking about, um, you know, they can't compete with City and City, this City are going to dominate for years and years and years. If you're a Chelsea player, you, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear your boss basically saying you're not good enough. So I, and I do, even at a subconscious level, maybe that has started to affect what? their the, confidence. I mean, the other difference is they've lost, you know, they've lost, they lost United, so their confidence will have dipped post Barcelona. But they played really. I thought they played really well against United again, and and and, and lot. You know, even though yeah. they, they dropped points in that one. But I'm Hughesy makes a good point there about Conte's negativity because to me, and, and and I guess it gets to Hughesy. Having this guy continually talking about how, you know, the club's not showing ambition, give me more money, what am I supposed to do with all these rubbish players? Did you pay attention to what Tony Pulis said? I suppose he never said anything that outrageous, or, or the other managers you had. I mean, in terms of their statements to the media, do you only focus on what he actually says to you? Well, I think it's, it's, it's big. I think when a manager addresses the media, it's players listen and watch and... Yeah, I think it's important. I don't think, un- unless the manager goes into the dress- restroom and says, oh, I've just, you know, that's just, I've acted it out there just for the sake of it. No, I don't think managers do that. I think that their voice in the media, that reaction you get after a game, it can be an emotional one, can't it? You know, you've just lost or something's happened. Conte definitely looked that yesterday, looked, you know, upset and a bit down and, you know, didn't, didn't speak with much purpose or, or flair in his voice. And and that the performance emulated that. So I think players, you know, a manager will sometimes say things in the media about performances. He's communicating with the players there through the media, so, so th- they will okay, use it in that way. It's impossible to avoid. In the old days, people said, "Oh, I don't read the papers," and you know, there probably was a paper at training ground. You could pick it up, not pick it up, go to shop, don't buy paper. These days, most of the players, not all, but they're on social media, so they see it all. You go to the Chelsea, Arsenal training ground the canteen Sky Sports News is just on all the time so you're you're there hearing a manager talking about you in slightly disrespectful terms so it's hard to avoid okay so it's damaging if it's wrong it can be very damaging alright so help me out with the psychology here if if a player and Chelsea do have a number of players who I'd consider fairly intelligent now we're looking they've probably also done a little bit of research and they know that A he's likely to not be there next year they know that this is part of his personality and maybe last season he was on his best behavior and this season, you know, he's acting this way, which is the way he acted in really for all three years he was at Juventus continually talking about, I need top players, what am I supposed to do with these guys, blah, blah, blah. As a player, maybe you say, all right, you know what? Screw you. Why don't you leave here at the end of the season and wait around for the call from Barcelona and Real Madrid, which is never going to come. And in the meantime... I want to play Champions League football next year because I'm still going to be here next year. Does that go off in a player's mind? It might go off in your mind, but in order to implement that for a group of people to achieve success in the Premier League, it's not possible. It's not possible. It's like just like trying to, you know... You can't build a team dynamic like that. Have you ever been in a situation where maybe a captain or some of the senior players said, like, whatever's going on with him, we need to save ourselves. We want to be in the Champions League. Definitely. Definitely, and I think it's very, very hard to achieve that because things filter downwards, don't they? If things are not right at, at the top of the tree, 
then, then you're trying to climb uphill and achieve something that's very, very difficult anyway. So if, if the setup's right, it's a difficult thing to achieve. So when it's completely wrong and you're, you're having players feeling that way and those noises happening, I, I'm okay, can I say, I'm not saying for sure that it cannot happen, but I think the chances of it being successful are very, very slim. I don't think Chelsea have those kind of characters anymore in the dressing room to kind of take no. command of situations and say, look, we're going to do this, let's forget about the manager and just play for ourselves. Ten years ago when Avram Grant was there and then even maybe later as well, they had the sort of Terry, Lampard, Balak, Drogba, Czech, Cleek, and they pretty much ran the team and, you know, they got to a Champions League final with a manager who, frankly, not very good and the players didn't desperately respect. Now they don't. Their best player by a distance taking Kante out of it is Eden Hazard who's a kind of quiet diffident guy just turns up goes to training goes home even Kante who's very inspirational on the pitch he's quiet um, Cahill's also fairly Cahill quiet is a nice guy his form is declining so he's not he's not really in a position of strength he's not in the team they've got lots of new players Morata is quite a nice guy he's not a Costa warrior Cesc Farragas is spite, he's a sort of spiky character but he frankly He's often more concerned about himself than yeah. the group. The, so. the, the, the people who would be in a position to speak up, apart from Espiliqueta, who probably would be, but you know, for whatever reason, you know, the team's not all about him, are people like Alonso, who. But the problem with him is he's not, he's not one of the stars of this team, and he's not somebody who's a guaranteed. Spe- you you kind of need that. It's hard to be a leader but, if you're not an automatic choice. But you're right? almost talking about standing up, making a stand, and going against the manager. You're not going against necessarily, well, but rallying, well, rallying together. Yeah, but yeah, but because you need the manager, you can't. You, you you do, but there's an element, there's a line to be crossed there of 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 being offensive to the manager or actually stepping over the line of what he feels is acceptable. And I think he he doesn't strike me as the person that likes. Not to be in control of what's going on. No. But look what he's done to David Luiz. He's he said something and so, on, the, on the training ground, which apparently was fairly no- innocuous, and he's barely played since November. So, so, so what? You, what you know? For me, that scenario is just not going to play out. We haven't talked about Manchester City partly because we've just been praising them all season, and I suspect we just end up with even more praise now. But what struck me, um, Husey, is Pep looked to me at the end in his celebration. He looked as if he won the title. I'm which I guess, I mean, we can debate when it's actually happened, but it's all pretty much downhill from from here, right? Yeah, I mean, come on, they've had, they've had a pretty remarkable week. He's won his first trophy in England. They've beaten Arsenal six nil. Arsenal, I mean, right. still still says Arsenal. The the players might not be very good, but it, you know, the badge <laughs> still says Arsenal. So in Pep's head, that that's a, that's a big win. And then they've beaten Chelsea without you know, kind of drawing drawing breath so if, if, there, if there was ever a week where they may stumble this could have been it and they've come through it with flying colours so I think that explains his sort of euphoric celebration at the end well, I want to ask you about something which somebody pointed out to me which I thought I'd noticed but I felt validated because it was pointed out by somebody else Kevin De Bruyne for the last three weeks hasn't been anywhere near the level of where he's been to this point yeah. is it entirely normal for players to have lows and highs throughout a season, physically, mentally, and this is a good time for De Bruyne to be having his low, so he can come back stronger when it matters in the Champions League. And of course, I mean, to sustain a nine, ten out of ten performance every week with the amount of games they're playing in the season, it's very difficult. I mean, I, I know what you sound like. I have think, you noticed that about De Bruyne? All I've noticed is that is that there haven't been the wow moments. Right. So I'm not noticing. 
miscontrolled balls bouncing off him and passing it into touch. There's no mistakes. He's ticking over. He's tidy. He's moving the ball. I haven't seen a, a, a maybe a slight drop in the energy to make exceptional things happen. Maybe it's a physical thing. It's a little down month. He might need his training program might have been adjusted because they've noticed that. We don't know what's going on. All there hasn't been is those wow moments that stood him out. And before that, he was producing those one, two, three times a game, wasn't he? And, and resulted in a goal, a match-winning pass, or, or a goal-creating piece of skill. And you're right, I think the last few games, they haven't been there in abundance, but he's just ticking over and being, you know, being a solid part of the team, which, again, is, is valuable to Pep. We're going to have so much time to talk about where City rank on the scale of greatness that we don't need to get we don't need to get into it um, here. But for my money, having watched them and having watched a lot of Barcelona and a lot of Bayern this year, I don't even think it's I, I don't even think it's close right now. And yes, people can go and abuse me on social media if they go and play Bayern and Barcelona in the Champions League and get and get an absolute hiding, and that may yet happen. But this level of, of consistency till now, even though the points might say that you know Bayern and Barcelona are equally dominant, I, I don't think comes anywhere near that. I agree with that, and they're playing. They are playing in a certainly more competitive league at the, at the top end. I don't think there are many teams as good as Tottenham and Liverpool in the, the Bundesliga and um, La Liga at the moment, and City are twenty points ahead of them. Now this season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, and the FA Cup. Now it's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Um, Matt, what was your favourite goal of the weekend in the Premier League? Well, with, with to be honest, not too many outstanding candidates, I have gone with Ashley Barnes for Burnley, purely for Matt Loughton's pass of the week is it that difficult to put the ball right there when you're can, you, can you just describe how he does that it's just the way you, you it's the weight of it fullback yeah it's, right? it's the weight of it it's a to receive it there and to have that in his mind which for me is an indicator of how Burnley play they're looking to get behind teams which is dangerous so many teams play in front and look to go short and I just love the fact they've got a striker and a fullback that knows that that ball is on because I think it's it's just a great way to get behind the accuracy, he's bent it inside one player and around the centre-back. And it's the weight. He doesn't take a touch, Ashley Barnes. So the weight of it's perfect. He runs onto it. Goal. I just think it's a great pass. Out of all the goals I've seen, it's a standout moment. Husey? Similar reason, but a different goal. Um, Son's second to the header against Huddersfield. Like Kane barely looks up the corner of his eye and plays a beautiful crossfield ball. Pretty much from the halfway line. One bounce and Son... Neds it in past I, I, need to ask about that. I thought it was, was going to pick that goal. Okay, I was, that, I was toying right. between the two. We love Harry Kane on this podcast. Did he just say, I think Son's going to be in that general area and nobody's expecting this? Or did he actually put it where he wanted? I think he put it where he wanted. I mean, he's, he's that good. Most crosses are hit in area. Unless, unless you're head up and you're picking people out. Well, not the Ashley Barnes goal. In, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's hit an area. Put it in a dangerous area and let somebody else do their job. Our second match this week is uh, two of your former clubs, um, Brighton and Hove Albion and, uh, and Arsenal. All right, I guess we're going to have to pick on Arsenal, but let's, let's wait a minute before we do that and let's start by celebrating Brighton a little bit. Um... I want to start with two guys who 
to me are, are complete polar opposites. And I know a lot of people who are involved in the world of analytics and all that stuff, which some people don't like. And these guys have been talking about Pascal Gross for for like three years. He was on a bad team that got relegated in Germany and blah, blah, blah. And yet he produced all these tremendous assists and, and set-piece goals and whatever. And it's a no-brainer, sign him, sign him, sign him. And Brighton did. And then Glenn Murray, who's a guy who I think nobody likes because, I mean, I'm sure they like him as a person, but, you know, there's nothing he obviously does well other than kind of being in the right place at the right time, which is a skill, but, you know, <laughs> is what it is. Because what strikes me about Murray is, I mean, that they, they signed Jurgen Lukadia as well with the idea that, oh, he can play center forward, and look, he's an actual player, and he's an athlete, and blah, 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 and he's a lot more technically gifted. Leonardo Ujawa. And Ujawa, too, yeah. yeah. And yet this guy keeps scoring. Some people want to play for England. He's got, what, like 11 goals this season, 12 goals, whatever it is? Yeah. That, that's absurd. Yeah. How does that work? Everyone's different. So he's just got stardust or what? Like no, he gets in the right place. He's a goal scorer. He always has scored goals, hasn't he, Murray, at, at di- various different levels. Yeah, but always moving very slowly. And I always thought when you go start playing at a higher level and you've got centre-backs that are quicker and stronger and more intelligent. Yeah, but yeah, but if, you're, if the majority of your goals are from crosses, which you tend to argue that a lot of his are, either, either balls dropping down from set pieces, either scoring maybe set pieces or from wide. Look at the opportunity in the second half when... He's through on goal and he turns out to keep possession. I mean, any other centre forward would have a touch at their feet and, and they're through on the goal, but he knew that his pace wasn't going to get him away. He had about three or four yards on Koscielny or Mustafi. It might be Mustafi as well, who's, who's not the quickest centre back you're ever going to play against. He's not going to score goals like that. He's not that threat. That lucky Ada who came in, I really like the look of him. He looks bright, he's quick, he's scored when he's played. You know, he he looks exciting prospect, and even Leonardo Ojoa has more mobility than Murray, and is a proven goal scorer. So, at the moment, he's just got to keep scoring; otherwise, he's he's going to lose his place at, at some point. But it's it's all about the what fits in with the team, and he's worked for There's for no Brian. rational reason he should be starting ahead of those two people. The yeah, other goals, two guys are better players. Goals are the, the, the rational reason. That, but goals tell you what happened before; they don't tell you what's going to happen going forward, right? It doesn't matter. He's scoring as long as he keeps scoring. The, the only thing you need to worry about is the goal. Who cares what else he's doing? If he's scoring a goal for Brighton at the moment, it's, it's invaluable. You on board with this? Well, yeah. Murray's response since January has been extraordinary. He signed two strikers. He thought he'd be out the door. A few, I think West Ham and Palace were sniffing around him. Houghton wanted to keep him for options. And he's scored in nearly every game since and won some massive points. And when your goal is Premier League survival, just having someone who can score is, is vital that will make that will make the difference that's what that's what Stoke haven't got that's what Southampton haven't got they haven't got goal scorers Brighton have found one and next season he may not play for the club again but if he keeps him in the Premier League he's, he's done his job I just think Murray is he's more of an old you know your old number nine plays up front holds the ball up gets in the box scores from a, scores from across so and he's taking Murray to Russia as uh, Harry Kane <laughs> oh, no, no, yeah. okay. no, I wouldn't go that far alright we we need to celebrate Chris Hewton. Can you talk a little bit about where Hewton fits into Brighton as a football club or what they've been doing? Because this is a longer-term project, right? When they used to have the, the, the crappy athletic stadium and they built this stadium and they put money in and they eventually got promotion and, and so on. Yeah, it's been a slow build and it shows what happens if you buy into a manager, back him. They got close for the playoffs several times, eventually came up. They've done it the right way. They've built a fabulous new stadium, fabulous new training ground. 
Paul Barber, the chief executive, used to be at Tottenham, done a very good job there. And they didn't spend loads of money in the summer. They were quite frustrated. Um, didn't actually recruit many new players. And then obviously they went... But they signed Pascal Gross, who I'm really excited about. None of you people will talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> it's very frustrating. Yes, he's done well. What can we to say? Um, Did you get into the Huddersfield you side? You asked me about... Oh, yeah, almost certainly. Okay, thank you. Um, and, and I think they're going to stay up comfortably. Peter Cech did something that you rarely see from footballers after the game. He took to social media and basically he apologized, arguing that his two mistakes led to Brighton's two goals. Uh, and maybe he could afford to do it because he's Peter Cech and he's a legend and no matter what happens, you know, at that age, it's a form of way of showing leadership. You have to be pretty confident in yourself to go and, to go and do that, right? Or in your place or in your status. Definitely. Have you ever done that? Publicly. Publicly uh, to I'm the media. Not, I'm not on social media. No, no, no. But so, I mean, after the game, right? Let's say you made a mistake. There must have been games where you made costly yeah, errors. I've, I've, I've alluded to the mistake and said, yeah, but made a mistake. Apologize the way Czech did? No, I didn't. I didn't I wouldn't, How I didn't unusual apologize. is that? No, I, I'd apologize to my own teammates and, and have done that. I wouldn't apologize publicly. I might refer to it and say, let myself down there. I knew I should have done better, but acknowledge it. Fine, right. but... But I, I've never apologised publicly, just because I didn't. I apologised to the people that maybe in, in my close in the dressing room, or if the manager was about to maybe sometimes to diffuse it when you knew what the, what was coming from the manager, right. get out of in front of it but and say, I mean, "Oh, I had a bad day idea today." Of him taking it into the public sphere like this. I mean, I, I I think it's admirable. Is this something people should do more? It's not a question of should, is it? Um, down to the individual I presume he's just trying to take a bit of the heat off some of his younger more inexperienced teammates which is very commendable I mean he wasn't the only one to play bad yesterday Koscielny horrendous pass the second goal Um, Peter Cech is a very experienced successful keeper so he's coming from a position of strength so you kind of can do this you need to be from a position of strength to do this yeah I thought so Maitland-Niles talking about it wouldn't be be fair for him to take this one it's leadership isn't it and Arsenal lack leaders. Czech is one of the one of the few ones. There are diff- different types of leadership. There's, you know, inspiring by example, saying the right things when it matters, and then there's taking responsibility when things go badly. And he's done that. I think he's been hard on himself with the the, the corner because again, uh, I look at Arsenal's marking on certain people. Nobody, Duffy, their best header of the ball. No one's marking him. So can what, what, you run us through this again? Like, how does this happen? I mean, because it's zonal. Okay, but zonal marking when executed properly doesn't mean like, oh, look, the tall, bald man's going around the back. Let's all look at him because there's no way he can score from there, right? It doesn't mean you don't attack the ball. This is No, of course not. Of course not. But but for some reason, sometimes mentally, teams mark zonally. And and for me, you then get a grey area of of responsibility, don't you? So even if you mark zonally, but you allocate one player to their best header of the ball, that for me works. Physically, you can have... Even if you don't win the ball, you physically make life difficult for them. And that's my point, is that Duffy ran to the close to the back post, had about a three-stride step unopposed and challenged for the ball. So, OK, Czech came out a little bit late, didn't quite get there. But, you know, the is fact that nobody... Is it possible that Czech called it? And no, don't, I, I don't I, think so. I just think he just tried to deal with the ball because he realised that no one was going to deal with it. Otherwise, that been Duffy would have had a free right? header on goal and maybe would have scored. So I think, I think Czech's being quite hard on himself. Yeah, maybe he could have done better. Maybe... If he'd have just been a little bit quicker, he m- might have been able to get a, a, a fist on the ball. But, you know, I, 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 that certainly for me is not a mistake that you should be out there, a glaring mistake, apologising for, to be honest. And I, I agree with you. I think he's just tried to take some of the heat and, and, and look after the other players in the dressing room, maybe. 
And also maybe take some heat off the manager. Yeah. Right, which brings us to the manager. Now, this week we've had a whole bunch of people in the media uh, coming out and saying that it's time for him to go, which isn't necessarily new, but we've had people like Henry Winter. I don't think Henry said it before that it's time for, for, for Wenger to move on. Others couched it in the, you know, it's time for you to go because otherwise people will forget all the good things you did before and whatever else. You spent five years working with him, uh, Matt, and you're not an Arsenal fan, but obviously five years of your life spent there, is, you know, will have an impact on you. Does Wenger today seem like the same guy who you worked with back in the day? Pretty much, from from what, what I can tell. Um it's interesting because I his management style for me is I, he he likes to let things happen quite organically. So he it's almost like he puts a group of players together and he likes them to express themselves and where it where it leads without giving too much to, without giving all these super detailed instructions. That's how I experienced him. Yeah, for sure. You know, he you put sound people. Like Stuart Robson now, just to warn you. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and that's how he would put. But the difference with that is when I was at the club. He had a group of players that were exceptional in leadership qualities, in uh, different attributes of the game that the team don't have now, from Tony Adams, Mike Keown, Lee Dixon, Nigel Winterburn, you know, all these players. And some of them he recruited, i.e. Vieira, Manuel Petit at the time, you know, Thierry Henry. The list is endless, the quality that he's recruited over the 20 years he's been there. But that, for me, only works when you have that group. When you don't have that group and you haven't recruited, some would say, well enough, or you haven't recruited a certain skill or uh, attribute that a, a successful team needs, then if you take that approach, you probably end up with what what you see Arsenal at the moment. That, that's how I view it, because I think those players need a bit more than that if they were gonna, you're going to get the best out of them every week. Um, so either, for me, the, the way you maybe manage them and address them changes or the recruitment needed to be different. Well, I, I, I find that really interesting especially I mean all right, the defence we've gone over time and again but especially in the final third of the pitch because when you try to play a certain type of football and I don't think people like Mkhitaryan and, and Ozil in terms of technical ability are light years behind the guys at City but at City they get a tremendous amount of hands-on coaching and the right coaching and the right instruction in such a way that it doesn't necessarily, you know, dampen their, their creative skills. They can still express themselves, just do it within a certain framework. Yeah. Is that the problem that you, you bring in these guys who you don't necessarily give them the framework? They're probably not, certainly relative to Petit and Vieira and those guys you mentioned and even Thierry Henry, they're probably not the biggest, most alpha male personalities yeah. to begin with. And that's where the whole thing grinds to halt. I, I think that's definitely a factor. Yeah, and, and I, it was really interesting the way he managed, and it was very, like I say, it was very organic. He would he would put players together, he would design sessions, and he would point you in a direction, but then it was kind of up to you to figure it out, and you you go and express it in the way you interpreted it, and he would probably either like that or not, and then <laughs> you'd either play for him or you wouldn't, and I think that's how he managed. That at the time when I was there, he was very, he was guiding, but it wasn't constantly you know you can see someone like a, a Pep Guardiola would be constantly chiseling the minutest message 
the finest detail would be there. You see him on the touchline doing it, didn't you? you see him after a game. That's just that's just a different management style. Um, and clearly, with this group of players, I think it's it's very difficult for to maybe get the best out of them. One of the issues here has been recruitment because he's recruited a certain number of players. We, we've gone through them who maybe haven't been as good as he hoped. And hence, they bring in Mislinstat and, and Raul Salehi to go and deal with that. From what you can tell, I mean, Wenger to one side and Wenger's future to one side. Is that Arsenal's plan? Like, let's have these two bad boys in here and our in- recruitment will improve. It's part, it's part of the plan, but they're also they're clearly planning for the post-Wenger era, whether that's this summer or next summer. Um, so they're kind of getting the... You know the back office functions at the club, right? Whereas in the past, Wenger's kind of done everything. I think recruitment has been been a been a massive problem, and it's not just it's not just the individuals, the players have recruited. It's it's bigger. It's it's the contracts. I think Arsenal are incredibly reactive, um, and they seem to make decisions decisions on the hoof. That in January they've spent huge amounts of money on Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan, so in terms of wages and they were players that they weren't after two months before, but because of the Sanchez debacle, they felt like they had to act for sort of PR reasons as much as anything else. Um, so you've got an unbalanced squad. You've got all the resources invested at the top end of the team. You've got Lacazette, who's your £50 million striker and doesn't play anymore. Um, the whole whole thing is just a, just a complete mess, and it's going to happen again because Aaron Ramsey has got... You know, 15 months left on his contract, so do you give him loads of money in the way of the nozzle to keep him, or do you sell him? The whole thing, it's going to take years to, 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 sort, to sort this out. It's not just a Wenger issue, it's far deeper than that. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Love the game? Then don't miss The Game Daily. It's your lunchtime update from football's finest writers, and it's only at thetimes.co.uk. We'll get to Mark Glenn in the in, in first one, but I just want to just reflect quickly, and I did write about it in the paper today. Uh, Davide Stori, who um, Italian international, the captain of Fiorentina, uh, center back. Uh, very sad story. He night before a game, team hotel, away game. He goes, he plays video games with a teammate, goes to bed at 11.30, and doesn't wake up the next morning. Um, 
medical report uh, says it's a, it's a cardiac arrest. They're doing an autopsy to find out exactly what's going on. I, I think back to the fact that you know we've had a number of of, of players who've who we've lost in the, in, in these conditions. Uh, Phil O'Donnell, Antonio Puerta, um, Danny Harke. I I just want to get from you, Matt, because obviously you, you've had close experience to this. Mark Vivian Foe. Um, as a player, you, you obviously put yourself under tremendous physical stress when you're out there. Yep. I'm assuming you don't think about your own mortality, but, or do you? No. Never? Personally, no. You just have faith in the screenings and everything that goes yeah. through you? Yeah. What, 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 one of the messages, because at times you have to push your body obviously extremely hard. And it's almost kind of like mentally to override the feeling of exhaustion or pain. I, I sometimes used to tell myself, what's the worst that can happen? You know, you're not going to die. That's how I used to think. And it used to do the trick because it would allow you to, you know, that pain is just a feeling. Your brain processes it and it hurts and you want to stop. So if you're doing a tough session or pre-season running, sometimes you have to kind of think in that way. And I think these examples are, you know, so sad and 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 awful but you know from my experience of the latter years of playing I, f I felt there was a lot of uh attention put on those you know a lot of screening i know for a fact now that you can't you can't play football without the screening i don't know what what it was like in italy uh with yeah, those regulations there's, there's a ton of screening there ton of screening. so there. i know it's, it's very hard to explain isn't it? and the fabrice moamba case perhaps absolutely and he was very fortunate he collapsed on the pitch so it was in front of a lot of people who could assist him straight away. There was people in the stadium that knew what they were doing and, and assisted and, and probably saved his life. So, you know, it, it, it was kind of the right time and right place for that that tragedy for Fabrice. And he's here to tell the story, but it just shows you how fragile uh, it can be and how fragile life can be. Yeah, I think the really difficult part is that in a lot of these cases, sometimes they find some sort of congenital thing that was not diagnosed which could not have been diagnosed and and sometimes you um you know there, there really is no answer the, the light just kind of goes out and it's a sad story he leaves behind uh his uh his longtime girlfriend and, uh, and a two-year-old daughter david story dead at 31 as transitions go this isn't the easiest one but um Last week we talked about Pep's yellow ribbon and is he going to get in trouble with it? I think today he has to answer a charge for the political symbol. This isn't the news again because Martin Glenn, who's the chief executive of the Football Association, he was trying to explain the difference between the poppy and Pep's yellow ribbon, which for those who don't know is it's a show of solidarity. It's not a yellow ribbon in favor of Catalan independence per se. It's a yellow ribbon to show solidarity with Catalan separatists who are currently, some of them are currently in prison, some of them are currently um, on the run, and uh, not on the run in the sense we know where they are, they're in Belgium, but they're, they're there because they want to avoid prison and, and trial and, and whatnot. And then he, he basically makes the point, I'm going to paraphrase him a little bit and then I'll quote him directly, which is that, you know, what's a political symbol or religious symbol to one might not be 
you know, might be offensive to some, but not to others. And then he compares it to, to ISIS. He says things like the poppy are okay, but things are going to be highly divisive. And those could be strong religious symbols like the star of David, like the hammer and sickle, the swastika, anything like Robert Mugabe on your shirt. And this is where it got downright bizarre. He's apologized. We know what he meant. This is obviously deeply offensive, not least because the Star of David also happens, you know, to, to, it's also the symbol of a country that it some just happens to be somebody's religion. It's not, you know, you can take it any which way. And I think hopefully we'll agree with the whole can of worms is we don't want the FA or anybody else to have to judge what is offensive and what's not offensive to people. But, Husey, this guy's a chief executive, he's got experience in business, part of his job is talking to people. Are you shocked that he would talk like this in such an offhand manner? Um, I'm surprised and disappointed. Um, I think the problem Martin Glenn and Greg Clark have is they're both just too candid and they kind of say what comes into their head. Which, it's like you have two Greg Dykes now? Um... There is an element of that. They both do seem fairly gaff-prone. I think for context, this was a conference call. He was talking on the phone. Maybe he was sort of, you know, more relaxed than he should have been. It would have, would have been in a, in a room full of journalists. Um, certainly, unfortunately, they've done the right thing to apologise. Um, I think the bigger issue is the mess that the FA have got themselves into with this whole political symbol issue anyway. Um, having fought... They're saying they don't want political symbols in the game, yet they've fought FIFA really hard to be allowed to wear poppies, um, which, in my view, can be interpreted as a political symbol. The whole point about this debate is that but seems they to say that the poppy's not a divisive political symbol. Well, the, the the issue is it's not for the FA or me or you to judge what is political and what isn't. Anything, a symbol, by definition, means something. And it can mean one thing to one person and another to another person. So I think they made a massive mistake in attempting to um, fight so hard for the use of poppies. And then they've compounded that by um, charging Pep, which looks like hypocrisy. It is, it is hypocrisy. There shouldn't be there shouldn't be any FIFA right in the first place. They shouldn't have symbols of any kind on, on, on the shirt. How about some quick hits? Now, since you're new to this, let me just uh, explain this to you. I will ask you a question. Uh, you will have 25 seconds to answer said question, so please try to be pithy. After 25 seconds, uh, you're going to hear a, a sound effect inviting you to wrap up. After 30 seconds, you'll hear a different sound effect, and then I'm going to start shouting at you in a loud voice and be generally even less pleasant than I normally am. So here we go. Tottenham beat Huddersfield 2-0 as Hongming Son, the Korean Thomas Muller, bags two goals. Husey, he's sort of the perfect complement to Ali and Erickson, isn't he? Although then it occurred to me, you'd probably rather answer a question about your team Huddersfield uh, than talk about Spurs for the 20th week in a row. No, it's fine. It's okay. Um, well, you can talk about Huddersfield. You missed Aaron Moy. Wow, we're never going to beat Tottenham at Wembley. Negativity. You sound like Antonio Conte. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, Son's in great form, isn't he? He must be one of the most improved players, I think, last couple of years in Premier League, ever since Pochettino stopped playing at left-back. He's uh, <laughs> turned into a decent player. You on board with the Thomas Muller analogy? Um, 
I mean, I think Muller is on a slightly different level, and I think the way Muller moves and finds space that doesn't exist is extraordinary. But Son is a great runner, athlete, and in a rich venom form. Liverpool overcome Newcastle United 2-0 as Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain turns in another sterling performance in the middle of the park. Matt, did you expect him to be this effective as a central midfielder? Why did it take so long for someone to unlock his potential? And how is he managing to stay fit? Big positive for Liverpool and a negative for Arsenal in that sense in terms of the fitness. I mean, I think their training regime's different. I think they work at a different intensity under Klopp. And that's obviously suited him and got him his body hardened and and able to play successive matches. So I think it's a big compliment for Liverpool in their regime and, and how they how they work and train their players. And in terms of position, I just think it could, it could be it just needed to be fit and he could have played anywhere and, and, and done well. So. so you knew he was going to be this good, Nostradamus. I think it's early to say that we say this good. I mean he he's done well and he's still in that position of having to for me do it more often and for a longer period of time before people step back and go yes you know this is the real deal but right. he's certainly shown that he the potential that people talk about he's got it Burnley finally win a game as they beat Everton um Husey, why did it take so long uh, well part of the run of 10 games was against the top teams they had pretty awful fixtures um December January and if you're Burnley they've been Overperforming, winning games by fine margins stands the reason. Eventually, you'll stop doing that, and you'll maybe you know draw games, lose games that you deserve more out of. So I think there was a slight element of reverting to the mean, but equally, they're going to finish eighth, seventh, eighth in the Premier League, which is amazing. And um, all credit to Sean Dyche. Speaking of Everton, they've won two of their last twelve, and the Big Sam honeymoon is over. Matt, why are they so bad? And would you pick a different manager next year? Arsene Wenger's apparently been mentioned in some quarters. <laughs> Why are they so bad? I, I watched them at Watford last weekend and they were very... weren't too expressive going forward. Sigurdsson didn't seem particularly happy uh, in his performance. Wasn't creative. I think they've been struggling. I'm disappointed that I haven't seen Calvert-Lewin play a bit more. I really liked him. I thought he started the season well. Um, he's a manager that's come in and took a group of players that was adapted to a Dutch footballing coach in Ronald Koeman. I think it's going to be very difficult for Sam Allardyce in that sense. And it wouldn't surprise me if there was a managerial change in the summer. Surprise me if he'd want to stay, frankly. Carlos Calvajal Swansea beat up West Ham. Husey, <laughs> he's been brilliant. He's said wacky things in interviews, but most importantly, he's delivered results. And he's resuscitated the Ayu brothers. How impressed are you? In our man Carlos. Yeah, hugely impressed. It looked like Swansea were down at Christmas and they were kind of appointing a guy to bring them back up. But um, their run of form, particularly at home and in the FA Cup too, um, has been extraordinary. And they look, you know, almost safe already. And a couple more wins, they're there. Um, and he's done an amazing job and will certainly stay next season and get a chance to, um, you know, plot a proper Premier League campaign. If you were your pal Mashiri, would you um, consider him to replace Big Sam over the summer? Um, you'd, you'd have to consider him. I, th- I think still think the Marco Silva dance is still playing out from what I gather. I think he'd probably end, end up there. But if they're looking around, Carbajal would be um, you know, a good place to start. It'd be amusing if they picked another fight with another Premier League club and tried to steal their manager and failed. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't work well too well last time. <laughs> 
Our colleague Jonathan Northcroft broke the news that Scott McTominay has uh, chosen Scotland over England. And I apologize again that this is our second week with a Scott McTominay question. But United are playing on Monday night, and so we wanted to squeeze them in. Matt, I'm assuming you're an England fan, given you played for England, Correct. unlike our man Husey here. Do you think you're going to remember McTominay as the one who got away? Only time will tell. Only you time will tell. have an idea of whether you could ever see him playing for England. Yeah, or being look, a difference maker look, for England. You're a young player, just got in the team at Manchester United. Of course, you have an opportunity to play for England. I'm sure, given the numbers of young English players playing in the Premier League. Okay, but when you see him, is he a player that gets you excited? He's a player that I think can be valuable to a team. So he can play an important role for any successful team, which is why he's playing for Manchester United. He plays in a way that Jose Mourinho wants and, and, and is secure for his team. So he's physical. He's got he's got some stature. If he grows into it and over time, I'm sure he, he could turn into a player that, that could have fitted into an England regime. I think partly it shows how quickly he's developed because he wasn't in the Scottish system or the English system through the ages. Well, he's now 21 years old and he's not, not played for either. Yeah. Paul Hurst wrote a good piece in Saturday's paper about how United's reserve team are having a terrible season. McTonomey was in that team until about November and apparently he wasn't seen as you know one of United's best under-23s, but Mourinho's actually, seen something in him and he's performed. Since you actually specifically work with under-23s, yeah. how often does this happen that for whatever reason a young player either develops later or maybe he doesn't have the skill set or he's not? How often do you see that? Well, it, it can happen quite often. What I think has been good with United on that front is that when you look at his appearances, he struggled heavily physically with his growth. I mean, I think he's six foot four now, which, you know... It was a growth spurt, perhaps, which threw him he, off. He missed a whole season. I think it was 14, 15, practically through injury and his body not allowing him to play. The next season, I think there was only like eight appearances or something. So they've really had to stick with him. It's not been an easy journey in terms of physically for him and his body, managing his body, the demands of training and playing every day from, from a young man in, in, in a growth spurt. So... You know, back when I was young, a club would probably have dismissed you at that point and said you weren't capable to play. But such is the awareness of what that is now. They've stuck with him, and he's he's been a late bloomer as such, I suppose, which is why he's come from nowhere. There's not been too much hype about him prior to that. But he he has, you know, a, a physical quality that I think is important for a midfield player to be six foot four and be able to get about the pitch. You know, I, th I think is a big asset for him. Well done, United's academy then for for, for realizing this and sticking with him. Sure. Gab, one for you. It was first versus second in the league at the weekend. Please tell me of a proper title race in Spain now. No, you don't. No. You don't because Barcelona won 1-0. Lionel Messi scored an outstanding goal and a free kick. And you don't also because as much as I love Diego Simeone, instead of approaching this game as, all right, we're away from home. Let's try to be a little bit positive. Take the game to them. We're a million points clear of fifth place. Let's go for it and rattle them. That's not what happened. They sat deep, and they don't always sit deep, despite the fact that Diego Costa and Griezmann are in great form. And, and it was just kind of like a game of attrition. They, I think they had one shot on target. Um, uh, it was just, just a really, I thought, a really disappointing performance for Atletico. But, um, yeah, Messi was unreal. And Simona said after the game, you know what? It's like when you're a kid. You pick the best player, and then if you have the best player on your team, you win. You give me Messi, I would have won this game. And he's probably right. Hi there, and welcome to the FIFA, which is the Times' fantasy football service. My name's Charlie Scott, and I'm joined by Paddy Bombert. Hello. This weekend was 
a frustrating one, I would say, on the whole for fantasy football players. The big names didn't really fire. Salah scored, but there was no goal for Kane, no goal for Aguero, so the usual suspects weren't quite firing. But if you got the email on Friday and followed mostly Paddy's tips, then you could be laughing right now. Yeah, we've found a few um, and some quite good prices as well. Uh, I think uh, we still have Crystal Palace Man United to play tonight, but of, of the nine games so far, we picked a player from each and seven returned at least five points. Uh, Mares led the way. Good to see him scoring again for Leicester after their fallout. But at the lower prices, uh, Carnesis in goal for Watford picked up eight points. He yeah, looks I to be quite shrewd. Um, they seem a bit more solid at the back these days. Jordan Ayew got seven for Swansea. Glenn Murray back in the points again with seven and a handful of others elsewhere. Oddly enough, it was actually De Bruyne. It was one of the two that let us down. So yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Can't rely on him. Overrated. Uh, yeah, Glenn Murray, I mean, wow. 97 points. I was having a look earlier. He's got 97 points. That's more than Pogba, Arnautovic and Gilfie Sigurdsson. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad for a 34-year-old. Uh, elsewhere, well, there was a couple of players who keep to be, seem to be uh, in the bonus points quite a lot recently. Jack Butland got three again in golf for Stokes. So along with Carnesis, he looks a cheap goalkeeper to look at. And uh, and what about Ki Sung Young? That's oh. four game weeks. Uh, he's He's got three bonus points in three of the past four now for Swansea. Yeah, he's absolutely loving it. And also, he turned down West Ham in the January transfer window and oh, made them pay. So if you head to thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football, you can sign up for the email, uh, which will be with you on Friday, which will have details of our latest competition. There's still time to enter that. And if you search for The Sweeper on Facebook, you can join our group and uh, get some personalised advice. That's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to making his debut, Matthew Upson, and um, back again, like Slim Shady, Matt Hughes. Remember, just £8 for an eight-week trial, uh, and you can search The Times online. And this season, you get access to highlights of every game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, as well as the FA Cup. But more importantly than that, you get our excellent writing and content. My personal favorite is George Culkin. Hughesy, who's your favorite? George Culkin. There you go. You can't go wrong with George Culkin. We're going to be back next Monday after one of the biggest fixtures in European football, Manchester United against Liverpool. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.